So this is a convergence of several different things that have all happened. Uh, I heard a story, it was on the internet, and it was about a meeting at the White House. And this is basically, we're going to talk about millionaires and billionaires uh, and how detached they are from reality. And I think everyone knows they're detached from reality because they live in a different world than a normal person. So they think about things a different way. And the story was that Jeff Bezos was at the White House with Obama and Jon Stewart was there. Jon Stewart is a comedian that I fell in love with. On the, He was former host of The Daily Show before Trevor Noah. And I think I watched every episode of The Daily Show that he did. And he, has, he was socially conscious and he was uh, incisive and politically aware. And, and all, those were all very appealing traits to me. So he was telling this story. Jeff Bezos is at this meeting. So, of course, Jeff Bezos is there because he's super rich. I think that I'm probably the richest man in the world at that time. And the story goes that he was talking about the future. And the way he saw the future is that there would be like a cabal of billionaires. And industries and services would all be catering towards the needs of these few people. They would essentially be running the planet and everything would be geared towards making them happy. Now, John Stewart pointed out that this is horrendous. This is Jeff Bezos has made the statements that the future of the economy is not going to be about people. It's going to be about multimillionaires and billionaires. And John Stewart then speaks up and says, you know, this is one step away from the French Revolution. This is one step away from people taking away all their wealth. This is one step away from, you know, uh, basically a new form of monarchy where several big companies... It's all the dystopian books always have, you know, three major corporations are at war with each other with private militaries and stuff like that. And Jeff Bezos is talking about that like it's a good thing. And Obama agrees with Jon Stewart that this is a bad thing. And so that got me interested in Jeff Bezos. So I listened to two episodes of Behind the Bastards where they talked about Jeff Bezos' youth and his history and stuff. I'm not going to go into that because if you want to listen to that, you should absolutely subscribe to Behind the Bastards. I shouldn't be encouraging people to subscribe to non-Chunk of Beef Chess podcasts, but well, let's do both. Subscribe to Behind the Bastards. Uh, it's a very good podcast. I got into it because uh, of Steven Seagal. I wanted to see if there was anything that they brought up that I didn't already know. I knew everything. I was obsessed about the man. Uh, I've listened to a, like a, the Gaddafi and a bunch of people. That, basically, I picked out all the people I were interested in, I was interested in, and I listened to those ones, and I was very happy about it. It's very thorough, very smart. It's really good stuff. Uh, this is Chunk My Beef Chest, C. McBee. Not to be confused with the... I believe it's Brazilian uh, military operations that also has the same name. I'm actually going to try to start beef with them, which seems like a really bad idea. But there's a CMCB, which is like, I think it's Colombian military something base. And so I, I believe it's a training program and they have their own podcast. So there's two CMCBs in the world. One is this, where I talk about just, just the most random stuff. And one is... Some very serious people who probably want to be like uh, professional police or in the military. 
Uh, I also produce Ninja News Japan. Ninja News Japan is about news from Japan, but you're not there for the news. You're there for the color commentary that I give about it, um, which is how I, I, you know, I'm a very thoughtful person. I feel so fucking stupid saying that. There's also, it's, it's like a one-off thing called Daily Affirmations Weekly. So basically it's, it's, it's uh, uh, an affirmation you can listen to every day for the week. Uh, the longest ones maybe a minute, so they're they're all, they're they're usually about ten twenty thirty seconds long, which is great. Uh, there's Montana El Diablo, which is a choose your own adventure, which you're not allowed to say because I could get sued for that. So it's a user driven narrative experience. So that's that's four projects that are all relatively active in some way. And then there's the old Velocity podcast, which has been retired. Uh, C McBee replaced that. But also Behind the Bastards, which I have nothing to do with, but is very good. And since I'm talking about podcasts, uh, Three Bean Salad, it's the most British thing ever, so it might not be for everyone. But it is my favorite podcast, and it's what I would like to do. Because it's just three people sit down and talk about something, but they just basically shoot the shit. But they're all really funny. So those are my recommendations for now. Anyways, uh, write all that down. Go into your podcast. Are you listening to a podcast right now? Kind of. So you should probably just open your podcast app and subscribe to all those. So anyways, Jeff Bezos is a psycho. But he's lived most of his life in a world very different from this world. So I kind of get it. Uh, Discord just went off, so I'm going to silence that. Just give me a second. But it got me then thinking about millionaires and billionaires. And again, they're so different from regular people. How did they live that way? Uh, Or how did they get that way? So I went on to, not on purpose though, like this all sort of, again, this was a, a, like astrology. This was a, a conflation of planets coming together and aligning. So I had all this information hit me at the same time. This was written by someone on the anti-work subreddit. I do enjoy the anti-work subreddit a lot. Um, it, the title is, I've written several books with multimillionaires and it made me understand something critical about the world of work and business. And so that was where I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is relates to the Jeff Bezos question of like, how does he live and what's going on in his head? Um, I believe that they're surrounded by people who want to make them happy. It's the same thing that happens to stars. So I think about Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber was a kid. He got famous. And then he's surrounded by people who tell him he's great all the time. And that actually isn't good for you. Like... But these businessmen probably are at the same point where they're like surrounded by people who are so desperate to make them happy so they can make money that they spend most of their life thinking everything I say is smart, everything I say is good. I've seen and met the president of the company that I work for. Now, he is not a tuned-in guy. And he's not like one of these multi-billionaire dudes. He is rich, though. He runs a fairly large company in Japan. I wouldn't trust him with anything. If I'm being really honest, I wouldn't trust him to do the most basic tasks that need to be done properly. And I think that seems to be like a universal idea. But then how are these people so important and so fond upon? Uh, But this was interesting. I want to go through sort of the main points of this anti-work thing because it's quite long and I don't want to read the whole thing but I just want to get the main points because it sort of illustrates the next points that I want to get to. 
I've been working as a ghostwriter for some years, and over this period, I've written several books with entrepreneurs and businessmen. Several of these clients were extremely wealthy, not in the Elon Musk league, but easily rich enough to invest their money, have a very comfortable income, own at least one property, and never work again. But of course, none of them were doing this. Now, I will never hit that level of wealth because the instant I came close to it, I would start minimizing how much work I do. And I think that might be a very normal instinct people have. A normal person doesn't want to work. I weirdly do, though. So if, like you think about what I do, today is Tuesday. It is my day off. I wake up in the morning. I drink water because I like to hydrate. Uh, I take Dave for a walk. I come back. I go over my notes for Ninja News Japan. I record Ninja News Japan in the morning. Uh, normally in the afternoon, I would then make and eat lunch, and then I would record C. McBee in the afternoon. I'm actually recording this in the morning because this afternoon I'm talking to a, a guy on another podcast. I then later in the afternoon edit Ninja News Japan, and if I feel like I have time, I'll edit the C. McBee so I'm ready for this week. Uh, and then I'll play video games, which I will stream on Twitch. And then I will make dinner for my family and then probably after that just play video games and then go pick up my kids from their various things that they do in the evening. All of that is unpaid. I don't make any money off the streaming. I don't really make any money off the podcast. I've sold a couple t-shirts. I mean, that's great. But I mean, when you think about I've been uh, making podcasts for years, the $30 I've made off t-shirts isn't really compensating my time. So I do have the work ethic for creating stuff. So given the the opportunity to quit my day job and do something like creating content, uh, writing, stuff like that, I would absolutely jump at it. So I might do that work forever, but it's because I would find that work personally satisfying. Whereas most people, these millionaires, they're running companies. Do they find running those companies personally satisfying? Now, they are surrounded, again, I said, by, like, yes men. And those yes men, probably it feels good to have people tell you you're, you're genius. You're a genius. You're really smart all the time. Um, but at the same time, work isn't fun. Uh, but it seems like I think what they want to do is make money. And that money is status. And so this isn't, I'm not actually creating podcasts to create status. I create podcasts because I like making stuff and I like putting it out there and I like interacting with people. These billionaires want wealth and status. So that's the first, I haven't even got to the second paragraph yet. This is going to take forever. Over time, I've become more and more fascinated by the factors that drive people who are wealthy to attempt to accumulate more and endure experiences that aren't in any way enjoyable. So that's my point. They're doing work that they don't enjoy, that is, that is painful or takes huge amounts of time or is very stressful, whereas I'm doing stuff because I enjoy writing, recording, I enjoy editing, I enjoy putting it out there and moving on and making the next thing. There are many characteristics that, in my view, underpin this, including narcissism and the love of attention. Now, I can't actually say I'm different from that. Uh, I want my podcast to be successful, so I must have a desire for attention. 
and that m- includes a certain amount of narcissism. But I think it's on a more normal level where it's like, I want people to like the stuff I've made. I want to interact with those people. But I, I, I'm not seeking fame. If I was seeking fame, I would have given up on this years ago because I've been doing this literally four years. Uh, insecurity, obsession with status, attempting to compensate for some perceived weakness or inadequacy, upbringing and, so, uh, and social example, and just simple lust for money and power. So those other ones, I, people do not accuse me of being insecure. I have been accused of anything that's going to be overconfident. Obsession with status. I, to a degree, eschew status. Uh, I'm sort of the leader of a team at my work. I don't really like being the leader. I like helping other people. So when my team needs something done and I do it, I feel good about that. But I don't really like being the boss, per se, uh, I am not particularly worried about having a perceived weakness or inadequacy again, cause that comes with being overconfident. Uh, my upbringing and socialization is pretty normal. I do not have a lust for money and power other than I would like to have enough money that I don't need to work anymore so that I could do creative stuff and have fun. I also believe that making money simply becomes a form of compulsive addiction. And if heightened attention or being placed in some form of pedestal is added to the mix, it can become highly potent. But through interviewing successful entrepreneurs, I realize something critical about business people generally. If you want to be successful in business, it's a disadvantage to be intelligent. Probably most people have realized that there is no correlation, let alone causality, between intelligence and business success, but I would argue that intelligence is actively disadvantageous. Now that was where this got really interesting, because what they're saying is that to be a successful business leader, being smart doesn't help you. Uh, by virtue of not being intelligent, number one, they don't question whether or not they're, what they're doing is worthwhile. So I do question that. Now, worthwhileness comes from, in my view, satisfaction. So I make podcasts that, I mean, my most Ninja New Japan is the most successful podcast I make. It makes about, it has a core audience of about 800 people. Maybe a really big one will get 1,000. I put a C. McBee on YouTube that got 11,000 views. It was on the movie Triple R. Um, but I made no money off it. So is it worthwhile? It was worthwhile because I had a good time doing it. But they don't question that because that's not relevant to them. So if I considered it not worthwhile, I would not do it. Number two, they are less likely to feel empathy for people that they exploit trample on. This is more debatable, but there is some evidence that intelligence correlates with empathy. I think I can say I have average intelligence. Uh, maybe I'm a little smart. I managed to do a bunch of stuff. And so that's, the, but I would never say I was really smart. I think I have a shallow knowledge of many things. Uh, am I empathetic? It's weird. I think I can turn it on and off. Um, but. I could say that overall, I don't want to abuse other people to be successful. I think that's very important to me. So I don't know if that's empathy, but I think there is a moral implication to putting down other people or abusing other people to get ahead. I don't think I could really do that consciously or well, because that's not in my nature. I love to do stuff by myself. So that's, again, this whole podcasting project, making it, producing it editing it, putting it out there. I do that all by myself. And then adding people in, I would never want to do that 
to someone else's detriment. So number three, critically, crucially, they don't get bored. They can talk about business for hours and hours and hours and they never get bored. Trust me, they never get bored. And that again, business, I mean, there are interesting aspects to it, but sort of like the day-to-day stuff, I couldn't talk about it for hours. Um, And so that is interesting because it means they can focus on something. I think that's basically the premise of the rest of it. It was only through having meetings with several rich people that I realized this. If I'm not doing something creative or actively enjoyable, so I think I relate to the author in this, I get bored extremely quickly. The internet has probably contributed to this, but I think it's a tendency is inherent within me. I remember that when I had a conventional job, all I ever used to do, all I ever used to think about at work was when I could go home. I am not that bad, but what I do want to do is go home and make stuff or stream or do other things. Conversely, the capacity to hold meetings and talk for hours about stuff that doesn't even need to be discussed can only be be described as heroic. Meetings are the literal bane of my existence. Um, It is insane how many meetings people have and how pointless they could be. Uh, I usually go to meetings and then I write up notes and distribute those to my team demonstrating there is no need to have a meeting in the first place. Because if I can just type it up and send it to my team, all that stuff could just be typed up as a report and sent to me in the first place. And then I would actually have something to reference. Um, so that's terrifying. Uh, that's why it's a major disadvantage to be intelligent if you want to succeed in the capitalist rat race. Because not only will you question whether or not it's worthwhile, clearly it isn't worthwhile, but what have what you have to do to succeed will become utterly tedious extremely quickly, whereas less intelligent people are able to concentrate on these boring things, these activities that are a benefit of any form of creativity, that are bereft of any form of creativity or engagement for inordinate amounts of time. While I'm skeptical skeptical about some of the claims about the extended working hours, it also partially explains why business people are able to invest such punishing hours in work. While this is physically tiring, tiring, The main reason is that it's hard to do is that it becomes mentally draining. You or I could never do this because our brains would tell us, you've been doing the same thing all day, this is boring, it's all pointless, stop doing it. But that never happens to them. This is also why they can't understand why everyone isn't like them. And I think that's another important point. The author of this talks about the lack of empathy, but lack of empathy also means a lack of ability to relate to others. So it's the idea, I don't, understand why you don't think like me and this is something you see a lot is that the ceo is confused as to why workers don't have the same investment in the company that they have despite the fact that they don't take a moment to realize they're not getting the same reward for being successful as the ceo so we hear about ceos make like i man i wish i had the number now it was like the top CEOs of a certain set of companies made the entire year's salary of their employees by 9.30 the first day of the new year. Something like that. Like Because they make so much money, within the first hour, they'd already outpaced every worker that works for them. Uh, here's a quote. They want obedient workers, obedient workers, people who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept All of these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime, and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. 
because they want to be able to abuse you. And so that's the, the conclusions here is that these are the two main characteristics that separate the owner class and the working class. The owner class are usually born into it. Uh, secondly, they've worked out that it's better to be the owner than the worker. It's not like we didn't work this out, um, but you're, you just can't just be born into something anyways. Uh, a ma- vast majority of these people who love to work at any level succeed in the corporate system. They are just smart enough to fill in the paperwork and just dumb enough to never get bored by doing it or question why they're doing it. That's the perfect person to work in business. So that gives us like a framework of what the successful rich person is. And then I got to this other article, which I found very interesting, which shows the failure to really understand their value. So the super rich preppers planning to save themselves from the apocalypse. This is a very long article. And I think it's from a book. Actually, let's get down to the bottom and give some credit to the author. Oh, let's do that for the, the other one as well. The author of this was on Reddit, user WUB, so WUB1234. So maybe, a, oh, that's got to be like, a, uh, like a, a second account because they don't want to get in trouble for ripping on rich people. It's actually very smart. Don't do that. Uh, The author of this article is, this is an edited extract from Survival of the Richest by Douglas Rushkoff. So I want to make sure people get credit for the stuff they do. But I found this interesting because my first thought was, they don't see how this is going to work out for them. Now, uh, I was thinking about the movie Don't Look Up with Leonardo DiCaprio, where they're predicting an asteroid's going to hit the Earth and kill everybody, and then all these super, super rich people. I'm going to give a spoiler, so if you haven't seen it, it's it's post-credit scene, so that's not the end of the movie, but the post-credit scene has super rich people have actually managed to get to another planet. And they land on the other planet, so it's going to be politicians, rich people, famous people, it was all like that. The people have enough money to get on this ship and get to the other planet. And it Shows them getting off the planet, and they're like looking around, and it's all new and beautiful and wonderful. And they walk out, and then it shows like dinosaur-like creatures coming in to kill and attack them all. Um, that actually, to me, was not what would happen, because in that situation, they didn't bring anyone who had any survival skills. Like a rich, you take Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, and you plop them in the middle of a forest. They would die in a day or two because they don't know how to take care of themselves because their life has revolved around, I order something, I say something, and it comes and appears and it happens, which is actually how they run their companies. I say, I want this to happen, and then the engineers make it happen. Uh, Elon Musk is the CEO of six, seven companies now. The interesting part to me of that, someone commented, I believe it was on Twitter or something, said like, If you can be the CEO of six companies, it actually makes it very clear that the CEO doesn't do much. You go around saying like, it was Bill Burr had a comedy thing and it was like, uh, everyone idolizes Steve Jobs. uh, But all he did was say, take my CDs and put it in this little box. And then like 50 engineers went and made that happen. But he got credit for it. Just like Elon Musk gets credit for a bunch of stuff that he didn't do any of that stuff. Someone he ordered to do did it. But that's the world they live in. That's what they understand. I say it and then it happens. And that leads me to the failure of these super rich preppers. And what they're doing is they're saying, like, we've seen that the climate uh, crisis is coming. We're going to build bunkers. 
We're going to staff those bunkers and we're going to live in them and, you know, live out through the apocalypse, essentially. So they're talking about Mad Max being real. We want to get ahead of that so that we don't suffer the consequences of a lot of the things we've actually created. We're going to skip the intro. It was quite good, though. Um, They sat around the table and introduced themselves. Five super wealthy guys. Yes, all men. Not a surprise. From the upper echelon of the tech investing and hedge fund world. At least two of them were billionaires. After a bit of small talk, I realized they had no interest in the speech I'd prepared about the future of technology. They had come to ask questions. Because they don't care what you have to say. They care to have their thoughts reaffirmed. That's the yes-men mentality of the billionaire. They started out innocuously and predictable enough, Bitcoin or Ethereum, virtual reality or augmented reality, who will get to quantum computing first, China or Google. Eventually, they edged to their real topic of concern, New Zealand or Alaska. Which region would be less affected by the coming climate crisis? It only got worse from there. Which was the greater threat, global warming or biological warfare? How long should one plan to be able to survive with no outside help? Should a shelter have its own air supply? What was the likelihood of groundwater contamination? Finally, the CEO of a brokerage house explained that he had nearly completed building his own underground bunker system and asked, how do I maintain authority over my security force after the event? The event. That was their euphemism for the environmental collapse, social unrest, nuclear explosion, solar storm, unstoppable virus, or malicious computer hack that takes everything down. And so they talked about that for the rest of the time. And I think that is, again, where they fail to see that their authority only comes from their economic wealth. They have no value in themselves, and therefore the instant... So uh, one of them down later says like he has a group of Navy SEALs that if he gives a command, they're all going to go to the bunker and then ride it out. But once the event happens and the Navy SEALs and this tech billionaire, technology again is gone. Like technology does not exist anymore in this post-apocalyptic world. What value does that person have? So the maintaining authority is actually the question because you're paying these guys but there is no economy. So paying the money doesn't mean anything. Crypto doesn't mean anything. What would stop the guards from eventually choosing their own leader? And that's the bit they're missing. They can't stop that. Once the world falls apart, they're not going to be valuable anymore. They're going to say, I want this. And people are going to go, who fucking cares what you want? I actually know how to survive. I actually know how to do things. I actually have real-world skills. All you have are a few ideas that are part of the old world, and they don't mean anything anymore. Uh, This single question occupied us for the rest of the hour. They knew armed guards would be required to protect their compounds from raiders as well as angry mobs. Uh, One had already secured a dozen Navy... Oh, there it is. A dozen Navy SEALs to make their way to his compound if he gave them the right cue. But how would he pay the guards once even his crypto was worthless? What would stop the guards from eventually choosing their own leader? The billionaires considered using special combination locks on food supply that only they knew or making guards wear disciplinary collars. One of the most stupid sci-fi ideas I've ever had. Because again, basing this on technology when technology is failing means they're going to figure out how to get it off. Uh, in some kind of return for their survival, or maybe building robots to serve as guards and workers if that technology could be developed in time. 
I tried to reason with them. But if we look back at the previous article from anti-work subreddit, they're not going to accept any other idea. They have an idea. They want it to happen. They want to push it through. They're not going to think about you. They're not going to think about empathy. They're not going to think about anything to make the world a better place. I, I made pro-social arguments for partnership and solidarity is the best approach to our collective long-term challenges. They're not going to understand that because it doesn't benefit them. They don't understand that because it doesn't have empathy. The way you get your guards to exhibit loyalty in the future was to treat them like friends right now, I explained. Don't just invest in ammo and electric fences or callers. Invest in people and relationships. They rolled their eyes at what must have sounded to them like a hippie philosophy. This was probably the wealthiest, most powerful group I had ever encountered, yet here they were asking a Marxist media theorist for advice on where and how to configure their doomsday bunkers. That's when it hit me. The least, at least as far as these gentlemen were concerned, this was a talk about the future te of technology. So that's really, again, you can see where all the failures are going to happen. By not caring about other people, by not caring about the future other than your own, by not caring about the environment, by not being divested in or invested in society or social systems. These billionaires have actually set themselves up for failure, but because they have never failed, because they've surrounded themselves with people who, you know, complete every idea for them, they can't understand or see how that failure is going to exist. They can't understand or see where the future is actually going, where the first instance, because these guys are dicks, these military dudes who want to just protect their families or whatever, going to string them up and get them out of the way so that they can take over and probably actually create maybe a militaristic system, but one that's actually designed to care about other people. But it shows, again, I have actually had episodes in the past and stuff where I've talked about economists and economists talk about growth, endless growth. And that endless growth is not realistic, but they won't accept it because it means there is a limit to how much power or how much money they can make. These guys, these billionaire preppers, are actually suffering from the same thing. They've fallen apart from thinking. They think they are separate from society when they're actually just a part of society. And when society falls down, they're going to fall down with it and they can't accept it.